Today is the last day of our foundational framework series. It's been almost two years that we've been in this series. You've all been soldiers and champs with few complainers. We're still praying for your salvation. It's okay. Do you get a button? <laughs> Who said that? You guys always want stuff. What's wrong with you? You get a Grace Bible Church pen. That's what you get. Luke chapter 1. Last week we saw that Jesus gave a mandate to his disciples. Go, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Trinity and teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And I was elated to hear that after that was over, people were having conversations saying, would you like to get together and meet on a regular basis for Bible study and prayer and mutual edification? Nothing warms a pastor's heart more than obedience. I'm so thankful that we have the Word of God that points us in a direction of righteousness. If you are scared to death to ask somebody to meet with you, come talk to me, and I will arrange it behind the scenes. The goal isn't embarrassment, the goal is edification, and we all need to be growing into Christ-likeness. Today, the ante gets upped a little bit. Let's start with a quote. In fact, if you've got your notes, or if you want to look up on the screen, either way. Our young men are going into the professional fields because they don't feel called to the mission field. We don't need a call. We need a kick in the pants. We must begin thinking in terms of going out and stop our weeping because they won't come in. Who wants to step into an igloo? The tombs themselves are not colder than the churches. May God send us forth. Jim Elliott. You think he meant it? How many of you are familiar with Jim Elliott? So you know what happened to him, right? You're probably way more familiar with his wife Elizabeth Elliott because she lived to continue promoting the importance of not just intimacy with God, but missions. Actually sharing the gospel. I don't know if you're aware of this. In the next little sermon series that I'm going to preach coming up in a couple of weeks is going to deal with a lot of the distortions that we see here. But we have a gospel problem throughout America and the world. A lot of this has been inundated with this thing called the social gospel. The social gospel is no gospel. It saves no one. The social gospel is this idea that if I fight for a pe person's equality or a people group's equality, if I'm championing the cause for them to have better food, clothing, education, medical care, health insurance, whatever it is, that somehow I have demonstrated the life-saving gospel of Jesus Christ on the cross for sins and resurrected from the dead by the power of the Father. Those are not one and the same message. They are conflicting messages. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to help people. We're commanded that all throughout the Bible. But when the actual verbalization of the gospel suffers... Because we were so busy helping people. That's damning. And here's the reason why. You and I have been called by God to be His witnesses. Testifiers of the truth. People that are conveying what they know for the sake of other people. You remember that passage in Romans 10 where Paul tells us, how can people hear if nobody's sent to them? Right? And he has this great idea that goes on there. Faith comes through hearing. Faith is not something that is given to you by God. Everyone has the capacity for faith. But faith is the channel of which the gospel is appropriated. Faith comes through hearing and hearing the word of Christ. When someone hears the word of Christ, they now have the option of whether to accept it or reject it, to believe it or to be in unbelief. That mandate's given to us. Now immediately, guilt sets in. 
Anxiety sits in. Some of you got sweaty palms right now. Some of you can feel the sweat on your forehead. Good grief, he really means it. Don't be worried about whether I mean it. Be worried about whether Jesus meant it. Did he mean it? He did mean it. Why is it so important? I'm curious. You tell me. Why is our communication of the gospel of Jesus Christ so important? How else do you get to heaven? Except hearing the gospel and believing it. In fact, Jesus only gave the church two things to do. You guys realize that? We get all caught up in things in the American church with vision statements and structures and processes and programs and la 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 la. Good grief, it makes me want to puke on my shoes. But there's only two things. We've clouded it up. Share the gospel, make disciples. Evangelize, make disciples. That's it. There's nothing else for the church to do. That sounds kind of boring. You obviously haven't evangelized or made disciples. It is not boring. And it's almost always a good time. Now, why is that? Well, here's a reason why. When we saw with make disciples, if you remember, there were two key components that were going on from last week. Number one, all authority has been given to Jesus, yes? Therefore, the power is his, not ours. We cannot do anything apart from him. Apart from him, we can do? Man, notice that. Apart from him, we can do nothing. But at the end of that, he said, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It's His power that makes it possible. It's His continual presence that makes it possible. All we have to do is be willing. All the power involved is Him. All the confidence or reinforcement that we need is Him. Now we see something equally as interesting. I've got something special for you today. But let's walk through the text first. I'm only going to preach a short bit. And that is true. Acts 1, look at verse 1. The first account, I composed Theophilus. The first account would be Luke's gospel. Acts is Luke part 2. And so if you're reading through and you wanted to read the gospel of Luke all the way through, when you got to the end, you would jump to Acts in order to continue the story and read all 28 chapters of Acts. It says that I composed Theophilus about all that Jesus began to do and to teach, his signs and miracles and his instructions. And notice it says here, until the day, notice there's a time period, until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. Stop. What were the orders that Jesus gave to his apostles before he was taken up into heaven? What was it? Go and make disciples is part of it. And we're going to see the other one because we know he ascends at the end of this section we're looking at. Look at verse 3. To these, he presented himself alive after his suffering, after the cross, by many convincing Proofs. It wasn't a glance here or a shadow here or a, I think I saw him go by. That's not it. Many convincing proofs. Without a shadow of a doubt, Jesus had risen bodily from the dead. He says here, appearing to them over a period of 40 days, and watch this, and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Jesus' primary topic over a period of 40 days was God's kingdom. Why is that? Not because it was a present reality on earth. There are some people today that still think that the kingdom is going on in some spiritual form and we're just kind of waiting for it to show up in a literal form. Take a look around. It is not the kingdom of God. And if it's in a spiritual form, let's be honest, we need something a little bit more tangible. But here's the point. The apostles didn't believe that it was here in a spiritual form either. Now let's read on here. Look at verse 4. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. What was it that the Father promised that they were waiting on? The Holy Spirit. Waiting for the Holy Spirit. Notice it wasn't get to work and show Jesus how much you love him. It was wait. Why wait for the Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit's the power, exactly. Capital P, power. 
because apart from him, we will do nothing. And that's what he wanted to communicate to them when we spent all that time in John 15. I'm going to call you to do ministry that is going to be daunting. It's going to seem overwhelming. You're not going to see yourself doing it, and you're going to get discouraged and automatically disqualify yourself. But if you're only looking to yourself, you should be disqualified from that ministry. All the power comes from Jesus being there. Why? He has all authority. All the power comes from his presence being there. Why? Well, not just because he's omnipresent, but because he made a promise to us of his presence. And notice here, wait until you get the Holy Spirit. Why? Power. Evangelizing people and making disciples is spiritual ministry. How dare we think that we could do it apart from spiritual power? That is almost blasphemous to think of. Somehow I'm going to get it done better in my flesh than Jesus is going to do it through me? Sounds like I'm fighting an uphill battle and may as well sit down. But, look at verse 6. So when they'd come together, and that's what happened in verse 4, they were asking him, saying, now watch their question, Lord, is it at this time? Now watch this question, guys, because it clears up a lot of crazy theology and it helps our date setter friends, okay? Notice what it says, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring, notice that word's intentional, restoring the kingdom to Israel. And Jesus replied, you fools, don't you know it's already here in a spiritual form? No. Notice he doesn't say, dummies, you're not supposed to worry about it. Does anybody see a rebuke at all from Jesus in this? No, he doesn't rebuke them at all. But he does let them know that the time and the seasons or the epochs are not, a, not something for them to know. The Father said it for his own authority. Why is that? Because when the Pharisees were presented with the incarnate God who was fulfilling every prophecy and doing great signs and miracles by the power of the Holy Spirit, and they said, we have to discredit him before the people or Rome will come in and take away our power. So we're going to say all oh, the miracles that he does are by the power of the devil. And if you remember at that moment when we spent all that time looking at it, history shifted. And Jesus began to turn away from the Jewish people and offering them the kingdom that if they would have accepted him, they would have started the kingdom at that moment. But instead, they said, no, the works of God, that looks like Satan's business right there. And they turned away from him. In doing that, he then set forth to go to the cross and began talking about another people. In fact, Mitch, do we have Matthew, is it 2143? 24, 33, 34, 30-something. There it is. Therefore I say to you, this was, a, this was a sign of judgment, Jesus told him in Matthew 21. Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you, people of Israel, and given to a people producing the fruit of it. Notice he doesn't say, given to a people who are going to bring the kingdom in. He doesn't say that. The kingdom is not now. It is future. Notice what he says. You're going to see the things that are the fruit of the kingdom. Why is that? If we read further and we get into Romans 11, we find out that one of the greatest reasons why the gospel has been made available to the Gentiles is to make Israel jealous. So they would realize we're participating in all these benefits that they should have had. And yet God was working with them way before he was working with us. God's got creative ways of evangelizing certain people. Now notice what happens here, Lord. At this time, are you restoring? Notice that the apostles didn't believe that the kingdom was here. But notice the next part. Are you restoring? Stop. Restoring. What does it mean to restore something? Not going down to the restore. That's not what we're talking about. What does it mean to restore something? To make it like it was. There's an idea of what something used to be like. And it is a bringing it back to that type of point. In fact, has anybody ever restored antique furniture? Restoring an antique car? What are you trying to do? You're trying to take a car from the 50s and make it look like a car from the 50s. Anybody ever tried to put 90s or 2,000 parts on a 1950s car? That looks like something out of the Jetsons that you wouldn't want to drive. No. So what you do is you try to bring it back to the glory that it had at one time. Yes? During the time of David and Solomon's reign, Israel was the most prosperous that it had ever been on the face of the earth. And I have no doubt in my mind that when the apostles talked about Lord, notice that they understand that only Jesus can restore this kingdom. Everybody see that? They're looking for his authority in it. Lord, at this time, is it going to happen? Well, you're not to know those, those, those things right now. 
But notice, he doesn't rebuke them for it, and they obviously have an idea of what that looks like. Why is that? Because of their rejection, the kingdom has been postponed until his second coming. Look at verse 8. Notice that he gives them marching orders. But you, let the Father in his own authority take care of the time that he's going to bring about the kingdom. But you. Now, I love that because there's no wiggle room in the word you, right? But you will receive what? There it is. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will receive what? Power when the Holy Spirit. Notice that the power is not separate from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the power. This is why whenever the Holy Spirit indwells a believer and begins changing you from the inside out, begins molding you into the image of Christ, and this is why it's so important that we feed upon the Word of God so that we would be further changed. Why? Because He wants us to increase in power in order to do supernatural work. And look what He says here. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, my testifiers, both in Jerusalem... Judea and Samaria, and notice what it says, and even to the remotest part of the earth. Notice that this is an expanding range of concentric circles. Everybody see that? Judea, or sorry, Jerusalem, where you are. Where were they at that moment? Jerusalem. In other words, Portage. That's where he wants you to start. Let's go ahead and insert our own context here for application. So I want you to be my witnesses both in Portage and in Columbia County, and even Dane County, and even to the remotest parts of the earth, the remotest parts of Chicago. In other words, start where you are, then move out into the area that encompasses where you are. And then the place that you often tell God that you're never going to go, go. Where's God calling me? To the place you don't want to go. Where's Roxanne? To the place you don't want to go. And only God can do that. Well, God would never call me there. What did you just tell God He was going to do and not do? Because here's what we find are the boundaries of missions. The boundaries are mission of missions is self. The self-life, the self-preservation mode that we get in. This how I want things done and how I'm going to do this and how I'm going to make that assertion. Guys, everybody notice that the middle letter in the word pride is I. I. I, I, I. It's why I hate modern worship songs. I will worship with all of my heart and I will praise you with all of my strength. No, I'm going to be a terrible person and love myself and hate other people. That's what I'm going to do and that's why I need the mercy of Jesus all the time. How come nobody's... Write that worship song, Emily. I'm a scoundrel. I need your grace, right? And I need your word to slap me in the face. There you go. I love it. See, we can rhyme it. Write it down. I'll even share royalties with you. It's okay. But for real, even our churches have gotten me happy. And the greatest thing that that keeps us from opening our mouths and trusting the power that the Holy Spirit has given us to share the gospel here and in our county and in the county that we don't ever want to go to or the place we never thought that we would be and also to not stop there but the remotest parts of the earth keep going, keep going, keep going. This is why I love Ethnos 360. They want to find people that have never heard and they want to spend 35 years of their life living amongst the people for one reason and one reason only to obey what Jesus commanded here. That's it. Now, do you think that it would be helpful or you would feel more confident if you maybe had a method laid out before you in order to be able to share the gospel with people? Do you think that'd be helpful? Raise your hand if you think that'd be helpful. Raise your hand if you're asleep. Okay, Mike Cooper, that's good. So I'm going to invite my special guest to come up on stage. Come on up, special guest. And you're going to want to open your handouts. And you're going to notice that when you open it up inside there, you have got a page that looks like this. Everybody see that? And you're going to need a pen. 
Does everybody have a pen? 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 Michaela, can you handle passing out pens to people? You're pretty fast. You got little legs. It's good. Thank you. Awesome. Come on up here, Pastor Steve. And here's what we're going to do. We are going to sit here and have a dialogue about the, the uh, bridge illustration. We're going to walk through this idea. How's it going? You know, I always thought it would end like this. <laughs> <laughs> He's talking about no. the foundational framework series. <laughs> Chuck and I always talked about the fact that, you know, Lewis Perry Chafer, the founder of Dallas Seminary, when, uh, when he got to be an old guy and couldn't get around much anymore, the students used to carry him in his chair and seat him in the classroom and then carry him back out and all throughout until, until it was done. And I thought, well, here's the first step. <laughs> yeah, your chair a little farther, yeah, there you go. Uh, Let's pull you up some. I'm good. There we go. Are you excited? Yeah, I'm excited too. This would be good. So I want everybody to have your papers out like this. If you notice in the overhead projector here, Pastor Steve is going to walk us through the bridge illustration to show each one of us. Uh, this is the reason why you should carry a Grace Bible Church pen. You can grab a napkin from anywhere, right? But you need something to write on it so that you can share this illustration. One of the things that... <clears throat> That, that you want to be aware of when you're talking to anybody about the gospel is, is to know what the Holy Spirit is doing in, in each of those situations. If you think about it carefully, there's only one thing that he really focuses in on, and, and that is to convict of sin. If, if there's no conviction of sin, a person's not going to be drawn to the Savior. So you want to be aware in your presentation of the gospel that you communicate the gospel in such a way that people come away saying, you know what, I am a sinner. I need a Savior. I'm going to have to trust Christ because I don't have that righteousness in myself. But isn't that unloving? Ah, yeah, we tend to think of it that way. When you um, take that sheet that you have there, and, and uh, the, I don't know how that lights up on the screen. Yeah, it's up there right now. Yeah, oh, we're okay. Good. Yeah, you cool. can just start drawing, and it's up there. I'm overwhelmed by technology. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. All right. The bridge illustration is designed to answer the question. How do I know I'll go to heaven when I die? And it's a great, it's a great tool. Uh, remember, you remember Big Kenny Williamson? Big Kenny? I, me- I never forget the day. I think the church had been in existence for about five years, so it must have been in around 1981. And uh, Kenny and Chris came over to our house, and, and I had a little office in our basement at the time. And I, Kenny's this big old truck driver, must have weighed 300 pounds. And um, we sat there and talked for a while, and then I said, uh, Kenny, if you were to die tonight and you were to stand in the presence of the Lord, and the Lord said to you, Kenny, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? And he, he didn't have an answer for that. He, he, he wasn't sure. So I said, well, can I show you an illustration that communicates how you can know Christ, how you can know you're going to go to heaven when you die? And uh, he said, yeah, I'd like to see that. So we drew out the bridge illustration, which we're going to do here this morning. And in the process of that, it was clear, it became clear to me that uh, the spirit of god was opening his mind to the scripture and he was understanding and he was seeing his need of the savior 
and I and I said to uh, Kenny, I said, Kenny, do you understand what God's saying here through this this illustration? And we'll we'll get we'll come back to that. And he said, Yeah, I do. He said, That's so simple a kindergartner can understand it. And I said, hey, you know, I about jumped out of my chair because I'm, I, I love to respond when when people are getting it. And I and I said, Kenny, you you you've got it. What is God asking you to do? He's asking me to stop trying to work my way to heaven, but to just trust Jesus as my Savior. I jumped up. Yes, Hallelujah. That's it, Kenny. You got it. <laughs> So we, we all had an opportunity to pray together that afternoon, and Kenny trusted Christ as his Savior. He later went to the nursing home over in Wyasena, and I just always had a special bond with him. And uh, for seven years, I visited him at the, the, funeral, the nursing home over in uh, Wyasena. And... Uh, had some fellowship with him and used to look after him. I used to uh, always um, help help him get cleaned up for his wife to come. And I, I hope this doesn't embarrass anybody, but I'd, sh- I'd I'd shave the nose hairs and you know do the things a man would appreciate. And did did that for a lot of years, and and then eventually he went into the presence of the Lord. Now he's got a perfect body and doesn't have any of those problems anymore. Amen. But what was good was the fact that he understood the gospel, and the gospel was not that we should work our way to heaven. The gospel is that we should trust Christ. Let me plant a definition in your minds. I was doing this with my daughter Katie yesterday. She's in a church planting situation called City Church down in uh, Madison. And I said, you know, we were talking about the gospel, and I said, here's, here's the simplest definition I know. Uh, this came from Professor Zane Hodges at Dallas Seminary. Christ died. Christ arose. Trust Christ. That's it. And and to add more to that is just illustration. But if you want to know what the truth is, it's that. Christ died. Christ arose. Trust Christ. All right, let's take a look at this uh, illustration that you all have there. And uh, Jeremy said, I have exactly as much time as he takes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. Before we start, how are my nose hairs? Are they good? Oh. I hear you're in that business, so. Yeah. And I heard you were in need of it. Help. <laughs> I have to keep looking sharp for the ladies. Okay, this is meant to illustrate two mountain peaks. On one side is uh, man, and on the other side is God. And what we want to do with this illustration is show the predicament that man is in. Man is dead in his sin. So let, let's start, uh, and there's three, three points that I want to show you over here. The first one to, to realize is that every single human being, including those beautiful little children you have, every single person enters, enters into life separated from God. At the moment of conception, a person is lost. And uh, they're they're lost in their sin. So, uh, every person enters life separated from God. Ephesians two one, 
The Apostle Paul says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. That's true of all of us. Now, we, we don't like to think about that too much, but it's true. If you think... Uh, if, um, yeah, if you um, think about the consequences of being dead in sin, it means that just naturally we're going to continue in sin on a daily basis. And is that true? Yeah. So we enter life separated from God. Real quick, it says every person at the top and then enters life separated from God. Sorry, I have chicken scratching and ready. We were wondering how we were going to be able to do this without any rehearsal, so we, we just feel like you can trust the Holy Spirit to get the God. Do you know what the gospel is? What is the gospel? Boom. You got it. Are you done now? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes, I, I uh, used up my divinely inspired time. All right, enter, enter life separated from God, sinning daily. When you think about how the Bible reveals God's person and character, he reveals him as a holy, righteous, just, loving, gracious, kind God, and on and on. All those things are true of God's character. So the reverse of that defi- defines sin. If, if, if I act in an unloving way toward my wife, Rita, have I sinned against God? If, uh, if I've acted in an unjust way toward my three kids, who are adults now, but have I, have I sinned? Yeah. And if if you think about uh, the holiness of God and the justice of God and and those attributes, you realize that we all violate the character of God every day. So we're all sinners, and therefore we need a Savior. We we enter life separated from God. We sin daily, and we face a condemning judgment. John 9, excuse me, Hebrews 9.27. Now, that was in our memory packet here, so how many of you memorized that verse? And just as it is appointed unto men to die once, and after this comes, comes what? Judgment. Judgment. That means someday we're going to stand in the presence of God and give an account we will give an account for every violation of his character, every lack of holiness in our thoughts and actions, every lack of righteousness in, in the way we deal with people, and just on and on. We will be confronted with our sin. But the good news is, there's only one way to avoid that. There's a, and... Um, What's, what's that? To know the gospel and trust Christ. Yeah. All right. Let me flip the page here. Just so everybody knows, this over here, this is bad news. <laughs> yep. So there's the dilemma, the dilemma facing all mankind. And it's and it's the reason why it's so, there's so much unexplainable sin ravaging our culture right now, and and ruining the lives and and just it, it's awful. Why is it? It's because we're sinners by nature. We don't have to be taught how to do that. It just comes naturally to us. And uh, because of that, we're going to have consequences. And, and the judgment is going to be terrible. But there is a way to escape that, and that's to know Christ as your Savior. 
And, and are you going to change yourself and make yourself perfect so God will accept you someday? No. If you're going to be accepted, it's because you're accepted on the basis of the, the redemptive work of Christ. Um, we'll wait till the reverend gets this up here. Amen. This is why it's called the bridge illustration. Because what we do is we look at life and we ask ourselves, what can I do to get saved? Well, uh, what, what mo- if, if you were to go up and down your street and ask people why they think they're going to heaven, what do you think they would say? Good person, do good works, give some money to the church now and then, try to help little old ladies cross the street with the grocery bag. You know, we, we think of we think of things like that 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 are good things in and of themselves, but do they get a person to heaven? Do they take an unholy life and clean it up? No. We need a savior. <laughs> We need a redeemer. We need a propitiator. We, we need a reconciler. And those things are, are not part of our human makeup. We, we need somebody to supply those. And so what, what Pastor is showing right now is, is that that's a false bridge. That's a bridge that humans build. And the idea is is that if we if we just uh, try try harder, do more, do better, we think, oh, I'm going to go to heaven. Is that the case? No, it isn't. So we need a savior, and that's and if you study the the New Testament. Pastor's been giving us a lot of verses on uh, <clears throat> the truth of the gospel and how it impacts our lives and everything like that. But um, one of the verses that's especially meaningful to me and I know to many of you is John five twenty four. Who thinks who can quote that verse? Truly, truly. Whoever hears my word I say to you and believes, yeah. He who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come into judgment. Oh, sorry. But has passed out of death into life. Yes. Yes. Amen. Te- teamwork. <laughs> but uh, if you if if you look at the right hand side of your diagram there. And we, we see that uh, Christ died for us, and, 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 and there's some promises in, in that verse. L- listen to it again and tell me what the promises are. Truly, truly, I say to you, who's speaking? Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word, criteria number one, and believes him who sent me, Criteria number two, has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. Is that a great promise? Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me. And you notice it doesn't say he who hears my word and is baptized at Silver Lake. Or he who hears my word and um, takes communion on a regular basis. He who hears my word and add any 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 good word that you can any good thought you can think of there. You can do those things, but will they get you to heaven? He who hears my word and believes 
not and is baptized and not and join the church and so on and so forth. But he who hears my word believes him who sent me has he notices these three promises. He has present tense, he has eternal life and does not come into judgment now or ever, but is passed out of death into life. So what are the three promises that you're, we're looking at up here? You can have eternal life, promise number one. You never have to face a condemning judgment. There will be a type of judgment. It's actually a, more an evaluation for rewards for every believer, but that's not a condemning judgment. That'll be for rewards. So eternal life, no judgment, Pass out of death into life today. What that means is that when you're presenting the gospel to somebody and you want to get their attention, make sure you let them know that this is this is for today. You can actually know in your heart that you have eternal life and that you're going to heaven and you will never die and God will sweep you up into heaven someday in his arms at the rapture of the church. Or at death, which whichever comes first. And is that good news or what? That's right. So that life can start today. Contrary to some denominations that teach that you have to spend etern- you have to spend your entire life trying to work your way to heaven. How awful is that? Is that good news? First Thessalonians says, rejoice in the good news. The good news is Christ died, Christ arose, trust Christ. And you will be given the gift of eternal life. Is that good news? Uh, that's, that's good news. Also, one more thing about the bridge here. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. Did you hear that? And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not because of works. Salvation is not of yourselves. It is not of works. He says it two different times. That's Paul speaking. You can't miss it. What's he saying? If you're going to go to heaven, you're going to go to heaven on God's, uh, with God's criteria, meaning his expectations, and that is trust. And, and that's some, some good news. Now, right up here, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. Everyone see that? For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again. On the third day, according to the scriptures. Yes. One of the things with Parkinson's is you get... uh, we have a better name for it, but it's a brain pause. <laughs> and um, it, it, you, it just, you're just going along, and all of a sudden the mind stops, and the, it's not going any further, and you didn't know where you were going or where you'd been, and, and, that, and that's a brain pause. <laughs> anyway, what that verse Paul says I delivered to you, I delivered to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sin. That, that's, he's, Paul says, that's first. That's the most important thing. That's the essence of the gospel. The gospel is Christ. Amen. You guys better answer, because if he gets frustrated, he's only got me to grab on to, okay? 
I would like to make it through this. <laughs> Amen. We'd like you to get to the other side. <laughs> we have a good time around here during the week. Yeah. I'm here three days a week, and that's enough to keep the pot, the pot stirred up. And That's why we won't let him come the other two days. <laughs> Got to come and see what the Kentuckian is thinking. <laughs> let me just share a couple of verses with you that are really good. First Timothy 2.5, just write this down as a cross-reference that you can use. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Is that a great truth? One mediator, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 2.24 But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Can anybody defeat Christ? Can anybody defeat his work in our lives? Absolutely not. The Philippian jailer, Sir, what must I do to be saved? Now, when you just think about all the directions that that, answering that question could go and and think about all the false answers that you have heard over all those years, think about that. What's the gospel? Christ died, Christ rose, trust Christ. Paul and Silas said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and... Your household. That means everybody else that trusted Christ. It doesn't mean everybody in the whole household. It means everyone else who believed. Yeah. And I'll never, uh, I'll never forget Don Clark sharing this, this gospel message with me, and saying, Steve. Th- this was May thirteenth, nineteen sixty-eight. He said, Steve. Where are you? If you, were to, if you were to place yourself on a sinking ship. Okay. Yeah. If you were to... Don Clark, the guy that led me to Christ, said, Steve, where would you be? Are you here? Or are you here? And that was a Monday night at the University of Illinois, up in the dorms. And I said, I'm over here. And Don said, Steve, do you understand what I have been saying to you? And I said, yes, I do. For the first time in my life, I had gone to a Methodist church down in Rockford. Uh, There's some good saved Methodist people. John Wesley, quite an evangelist. That's not my point. The point is, I went to a liberal church that didn't present the gospel. And I'll never forget there sitting there this night, and, and I had been involved in Methodist Youth Fellowship, Young Life. I was, I was active in Christian things in high school, but had no clue why. And um, Don said, well, do you understand where you're at? And I said, yes, I do. He says, is, is there any reason why I shouldn't, that, any reason why you shouldn't make that decision tonight? And I, and I said, no, I, I want to do that. And he helped me out so much by simply saying, let's, let's, bow, let's bow our heads and talk to God. And you tell God about the decision that you're making tonight. You tell him the decision you're making. And I said, I'd like to do that. So we bowed our heads and I said, Lord, um, I, for the first time in my life, I can see why all that religious activity didn't add up to anything. 
because I didn't know Christ. I was operating on the wrong basis. And I said, Lord, tonight I I admit my sin to you. I'm trusting Christ as my Savior tonight. Thank you for giving me the gift of eternal life. Does he give to everybody the gift of eternal life? Who, Who trusts Christ? Yes. What are those three promises? Eternal life? No judgment? Pass out of death? Into life. Very good. That's, that's it, folks. I used exactly my 20 minutes. <clears throat> yes. just, just as I would have. Father, thank you for loving us the way that you do. Thank you for giving us clarity, helping us see what the Word truly says about how to go to heaven when we die. We thank you for those faithful evangelists who have gotten around over the years and presented the gospel to us and helped us really see with clarity what the issues are. I pray that we've done that today and that folks here are able to say, I know what the gospel is. I know the decision that has to be made. And uh, I'm going to do that. Father, we love you. And just uh, pray that this will be a great day in the remembrance of our church family. Thank you for giving me those many years to share the gospel. And thank you for Pastor and his faithfulness in sharing the gospel. And thank you for our church family here that knows the gospel. Just pray that we'd be faithful to these things in Christ's name. Amen. If you would, tell Pastor Steve thank you for sharing that with us. And if you would like a copy of my book, which, ha- which, ha- which has all this in it, Max- Maxine is um, looking into getting another printing done for us, so th- these will be available again hopefully in a month or two. <laughs>